The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. Welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm your host, Rev. Jackie Fernandez, and we are streaming from the Tower on the Sacred Grounds at Unity Village. Today wraps up our month of healing. The month of August has been all about healing. We started on Myrtle Fillmore's birthday with Reverend Ann Tabor with Put a Myrtle on it. And then we invited Reverend Myra McFadden to talk about being present and healing through being present. And of course, last week we had Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and we talked about healing in relationships. And we're going to close out the month talking about healing in community through social justice. And I've invited Reverend Masando Hiraoka from Mile High in Denver. Welcome, Masando. <laughs> so good to be here. Oh, and you nailed the pronunciation of my name. That was amazing. Oh, I've been practicing. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say it's easy, you know, um, because you just pronounce all of the vowels, yeah. much like in Spanish, right? So Yeah, I noticed like Spanish speakers when I was living yeah. in New Mexico – it was super easy for them. Yes. And coming back to Colorado, everyone struggles. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got it. I got it. Well, I'm gonna, just going to read a little bit to introduce you to our uh, listeners um, from your bio, from the website. So I hope it's up to date. I didn't, I didn't actually <laughs> check in with you about that. But, um, you know, of course, we have your education. You got a bachelor's degree in religious studies from Uni- University of Colorado in Boulder. And your master's in consciousness from the Holmes Institute. And then I love this, and I would love to hear a little bit about it. You were introduced to meditation, your meditation practice, during your travels to India through the Naropa University's Buddhist Studies program. Yeah, so I got to do a study abroad program when I was in college. And it was my first introduction to, um, to like traditional Buddhist meditation and, you know, we got to go to this amazing part of India for five months uh, that borders uh, Bhutan, Nepal, and Tibet. So it had this amazing influence of Indian and Nepalese and Tibetan culture and wow. actually is home to one of the uh, main four uh, Tibetan Buddhist sects. And so we got to travel all around that area uh, called Sikkim. And visit all of these amazing monasteries and really get steeped in that culture. Uh, and part of going to that study abroad program was we, you know, waking up every morning at six o'clock and meditating for an hour. Wow. And we had a meditation instructor the whole time. And I had never really had a formal practice before that. Um, so it was it was an amazing experience just to have that every day and has really stuck with me since then. I was very trans, very much transformed uh, by the meditation practice and just by being in India. Sure, uh, it's it's <laughs> so completely different from the American culture that I've grown up in, and um, just being there and recognizing that there's so many different ways to to be human oh, <laughs> yeah. on this planet. Aren't there? It's really eye opening. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's um, amazing. So how how long were you there? 
I was there for about five months, and wow. it's cool because the, the program culminates in a three-week independent study where they basically, like, say, okay, it just now go and travel and go and research something, right? <laughs> and um, so Pick a thing. I, Pick a thing yeah. and research it. <laughs> yeah, go and walk around and have some fun. And uh, very classic to what happens when you're in India and, um, you know, your American sort of ethic of wanting to schedule everything out and sure. India just sort of saying back to you, like, nah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I had scheduled this whole three-week trip, uh, you know, by train throughout India. Um, and uh, there, and is in most parts of the world, you write down uh, month, day, year when you're booking anything. Oh, right. Uh, or, or day, month, year. And we do month, day, year year here so anyways uh, i had booked tickets but they are just all for the wrong date oh. uh so my entire independent study trip um basically just went out the window and uh had to start over and just really surrender to what was presenting itself in the moment and really lean into the connections i was making from day to day and it really truly became an adventure because i had no schedule i had right had nothing planned. I just allowed a connection to lead me to the next person and to the next place. Uh, and it ended up being pretty amazing. Wow. So an exercise from letting go right from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and India will, will help you with that. Yeah. I think most trains I took usually were like a couple hours late. Um, and that's totally regular okay. there. <laughs> a couple so, hours. Wow. Yeah. It's a really beautiful practice in surrender. And it, it yeah. made me really question all of the ways in which I'm trying to continually, uh, you know, clamp down on and control my life. Right. Yeah. It just asked me over and over again uh, not to do that. Wow. And I ended up learning a lot through that and being really happy in the process. So I, I bet you came to rely on that hour of meditation first thing in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like... amazing how much that practice really allowed me to to take part in that surrender and really just waking up to and being present for every moment in front of me, right? And yeah. I was able to experience all of this magic and all of these connections in ways that I probably wouldn't have been able to had that meditation practice not really taken root. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And so I imagine then uh, you were writing for Science of Mind magazine on the art of being human. So I imagine that experience probably influences everything you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, there's 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 kind of like these moments in life that was sort of like, you know, before this time and after mm -hmm. this time, right? <laughs> you can look yes. back and there are these times or experiences where you were literally sort of a different person after that experience. And India, by far, was one of the most formative experiences in my life. And I can still sort of feel like what it was to be me, you know, yeah. before that time and, and that time since. Uh, and so it's pretty amazing to, um, to think about that and, you know, yeah, being able to write a, a column in the magazine, um, that's also one of those experiences, right? Because now yeah. I'm monthly really thinking about what feels relevant and uh, what what influences me um, and what I want to talk about. And it kind of keeps me on my toes and continually seeking to, to write about things that matter. 
Yes. Awesome. I love it. Um, so you were one of the first graduates um, and the current chair of the regeneration program in yeah. for Centers of Spiritual Living. And yeah. so you're you're finding funding for young adults under the age of 35 who are pursuing the path of becoming a minister. So talk about being relevant, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such an interesting conversation right now. And I am so proud of our organization and really so grateful for the folks that spearheaded this particular program in really thinking towards the future and investing in it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. we, you know, we look at our statistics, uh, and I think I shared this, if you want to, if anyone wants to check it out, this is just for our Centers for Spiritual, Spiritual Living Organization, but I think that the stats are probably pretty similar for unity and for churches across the board. Mm -hmm. um, but we, when we were looking at the demographics age-wise of our ministers, we had less than 1% of ministers under the age of 30 and yeah. less than 3% under ministers under the age of 40. Uh, and so, and then the majority of the folks, uh, the majority, the vast majority of the ministers are 65 and above, yeah. right? So yeah. sort of nearing retirement age. Yeah. So when you look at that, <laughs> you can kind of see the writing on the wall. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, I'm really proud of our organization and I'm still, you know, we're, we're at a point where we have more candidates than we have funds for. So we're back in that huge fundraising mode, which is an amazing That's awesome. problem to have. Yes. When I was going through, I was the only one, Yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and now we have like, you know, seven folks in the program and three folks uh, waiting to get in and more folks that call me all the time. So you can see the momentum that's building. And so now it's continuing to hold that uh, sort of consciousness in being able to meet the, the need for that uh, in creating funds to support that. So we also do mentorship and we also do peer mentorship and relationship building between the folks that are in the program. And so there's lots of support systems that are also uh, really built in because, you know, recognizing that this ministry profession, it can get kind of crazy and yeah. weird. And, yep. um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't know. Say more. Say more about that. <laughs> The relationships that I've built, the mentorships that I've been able to have, have been everything, especially I'm just in my, you know, third year of ministry and, you know, it's trial by fire a lot. Yeah. You're, you're thrown in, uh, you think <laughs> you know what it means after going through school and then you get into the actual profession and, you know, there's, there's so, there's so much that goes into it that you're, you're unprepared for, you know, yeah. you're ready yeah. in, in consciousness, but uh, unprepared. So this mentorship and peer mentorship has been really beautiful thing to, to create as well. Awesome. I'm so excited to hear that that's growing, that that is a growing initiative. So congratulations on being a part of that. That's so yeah, important. Like I know when I started, first started thinking about ministerial school, I actually searched to see if there was an age requirement <laughs> like thinking maybe you had to be, you know, 50 yeah. or, you know, I mean, and I think that, you know, I think it irritates some people when I say that, but I think it's an important thing to, to recognize that younger people coming in have maybe have a perception that, you know, because if you look around, like you said, this, the statistics, you know, it's, it's not what we're seeing in the pulpit. So I love that you're part of a movement of, of bringing that, that newness. And yeah, those younger generations huge. in. Yeah, 
It's huge. And I think we're trying to discern uh, the difference be- and, and really seek to develop, you know, spiritual maturity mm-hmm. as much as we can. Yeah. And know that that doesn't necessarily uh, correlate with age. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's what's really needed for this profession, right? Like really grounded, uh, really powerful maturity mm-hmm. um, and to, to be a leader in any kind of way, right? right. Uh, yeah. And so that's what we're seeking to foster and uh, develop and support within yeah. the folks that go through the program. Do you have any kids? I don't, but uh, interestingly enough, my wife and I went to see our nurse midwife yesterday. Oh. So we're on the path. We're awesome. The path. Okay. You, know, you never, that's another surrender practice. Yeah. yeah. Like. Well, the reason I ask, because I have two teenagers, is that I feel like the kids, these kids today, the youth today, are <laughs> they're coming in with a spiritual maturity and openness that that me that I don't think I recognized as I was coming up and I don't think that we were seeing in generations before I think there's like at least in this country this um evolution that has been happening um that is an openness and and with that openness maybe um necessarily comes a spiritual maturity at a younger age I don't know what you think about that if you've seen that in in kids yeah, I think I'm I'm honestly pretty blown away by the openness that that the youths these days yeah. are coming in with. Um and uh you know, I think each generation sort of has its gifts and challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And these the kids that are, you know, this sort of newest generation, this Gen Z, yeah. uh which I think is 18 and under right now. Yeah. Um you know, they're very different than uh, a millennial like myself, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, had a world before technology, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, whereas these, uh, these folks, these kiddos coming in, uh, you know, have already been so connected, right? Yeah. So information is continually at their fingertips. Um, they have access to so much more than, uh, more of that kind of thing, more information, more ways of understanding the world uh, than I did growing up. And I think that has really allowed a lot of the kids that I have interacted with to really just be sort of plainly more open uh, uh, around, you know, things that, you know, our generation may still be learning, right? Um, So it's pretty amazing to see. And I think their unique challenge too is yeah. is understanding that uh, there's there's an importance in connecting uh, with other humans uh-huh. <laughs> without an int- like without a device between them, right? Yes. So that I've also seen there's lots of anxiety in this generation too, right? And yeah. there's ways in which uh, I think social media has contributed to that. Um, so there's they they have this spiritually mature thing, and I think there's ways their unique challenge is. How do they take all of that knowledge and openness and and create ways for for genuine connection uh, to still thrive in their lives as well? Yeah, beautifully said. You know, and I think you know, in part too, there's um, there's been a shift in in parenting styles, and that yeah. maybe allows for you know young people to to be exploratory. I know my kids, you know, have been brought up in unity, so they don't come with 
you know, baggage, you know, religious baggage. <laughs> and, you know, and but then what will happen is, you know, my daughter will say, you know, on Sunday morning, I don't want to go to church today. I really need a self-care day. Mm. You know, and like it's beautiful, it is beautiful, but also, <laughs> also today is your self care day. You know, like you can't come to church because today. you need a whole self care day. Where's my whole self care day? Where do I get a whole day for? You know, I mean, so it's like, yeah, it's it's fun, it's interesting, but but to have the vocabulary and and the knowing that there's a need there and to be able to you know vocalize that you know that's amazing so what blessings to you and rebecca on your journey that's i can't wait to hear more about that so i want to hear about social uplift is that's your jam that's what you're doing at mile high (laughs) yes and you know and that's the topic for today is healing through community through social justice and um yeah so tell us about tell us about it yeah so you know um, when I came into ministerial school, you know, I think for me, I also grew up, you know, in in New Thought. And for me to continue to, I think, really devote myself uh, to a teaching that often honestly focused more upon the individual than the collective, right? Mm-hmm. That was very much, at least in the ways that they're taught within this Centers for Spiritual Living world, uh, it's often really been focused on personal growth, personal transformation, personal affirmation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that, like, if I was going to continue with this path and be, and really become a minister, like, I needed to find ways to connect with what was going on in the world. You know, I have been really impacted by what's the ways in which like there are our society is seeking evolution mm-hmm. and the ways in which I see backlash to that progression. And uh, I wanted to, to really learn and figure out ways to apply principles that have been really powerful in my own personal life. And then how do we apply these out to our collective, to societies that we're living in, to the communities that we're a part of? And so that really became the focus of of my study. And really, you know, the ministries that I've been a part of has really just been seeking to do that. Like, how do we translate uh, our principles of healing, our principles of oneness, uh, our principles of change, right, and transformation that we, I think, all have had personal experiences with and deep experiences with? How do we how do we apply those out to the communities that we're living in? And, and that's really what social uplift is about, right? Like mm-hmm. social uplift is recognizing that like our societies can be all uplifted together. And when we are, when we allow ourselves to, to really uh, develop relationships where like the wholeness of each individual piece can really stay intact, where, we're recognizing that so much of what we see manifesting in the world that uh, that feels like that it's 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 somehow uh, in opposition to the values that we hold. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's ways in which you know we can be a part of that transformation and still allow each and every person's wholeness and and personhood and spiritual identity to stay intact. Right. Yeah. So the ideas of social transformation comes from the fact that like we're going to develop relationships 
And we're going to recognize that uh, each and every person that we're coming in contact with has something to offer. Uh, if they're coming from a different socioeconomic class, if they're coming from a different culture, if they're coming from a different political identity, whatever that happens to be, that like we are made better by developing relationships with those folks. And that as we develop those relationships, we can kind of come and get to the root of some of the ways in which these, uh, you know, the things that we're, we're seeking to transform, such as racism, such as, uh, you know, uh, wealth inequality, such as uh, the rampant homelessness that I think is, is a part of every single city in yeah. the United States, um, that we can come together so that we can begin to, like, utilize our principles to to understand like, okay, so what's what's at the root of all these things and how can we not just beat the immediate needs, but how can we seek to, to become a part of the transformation through looking at what the root causes of these things are, right? And mm -hmm. the ways that I think the most powerful ways in understanding those root causes is by listening to each other, right? And, and really developing, you know, friendships and partnerships and relationships that help us more deeply understand uh, our communities uh, in ways that if we're just only focusing on our church in ways to just uh, serve the folks that are there that we may not be able to um, in that model. So that's really what social uplift is about. It's about how do we create connection? How do we create partnership? And through that, how do we create uh, societal transformation uh, as a whole, as a collective? And, and become a part of this oneness thing that we like to talk about. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. and I love hearing about it. And I mean, everything that you kind of just described is, I think, is an energy um, that is being called forth mm. right now, just in the world. Um, that when you're describing partnerships, you know, connection, connecting with people who, you know, have whatever differing demographics, if you will, and and creating partnerships. So it's not, you know, the church giving a handout. It's not charity, but it's true partnership and and using that as a foundation for influencing transformation in communities. Yeah, that's everything, you know, and I think churches are good at charity, right? Yes. Like churches have sort of bared the burden mm -hmm. of filling that role uh, in our society basically since the 80s, right? Like um, that has been a part of what we do, and I think it's something that churches like to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a big part of social uplifts, a ways, ways that I've described it to folks is uh, social uplift is where charity works, uh, justice, relationships, and societal transformation or systemic change, and this idea of interconnectedness or oneness, that's where all of those come together, right? Yeah. And so that we can build upon what we already have going. We can build upon the charity, maybe initiatives that we have, mm -hmm. and seek to develop deeper relationships so that we can come into a deeper understanding of, okay, if we have a school supply drive, uh, every year mm -hmm. and we notice that like there's more and more need every year like we develop relationship with those schools and with those families so we have a better understanding of why yeah <laughs> so we can not just work on fulfilling the symptom right uh but and we can not just throwing backpacks the at them right <laughs> exactly because mm -hmm. we're gonna do that too like we're gonna meet these needs and we're gonna seek to uphold the dignity mm. 
of uh, of the children and to the folks in our communities, like as much as we can. Like that's not that's not a bad thing, but we want to follow that up with developing a relationship throughout the year, right? Mm -hmm. So what yeah. are some of the other needs that these schools have? Oh, a lot of these schools need reading programs because these folks, so a lot of these kids are are learning English still. Mm -hmm. Oh, through that program, we can spend more time with families and with kids and just get to know like what some of their challenges are. Mm -hmm. Oh, through that, we can see like, wow, there's like the systemic need for transportation. Wow, there's a systemic need for more resources for Spanish speaking students in this county. You know, mm -hmm. oh wow, like what are some what are what are what are some greater systemic changes that would have a positive impact on all of these families that we're seeking to serve and build a relationship? Oh wow, like my relationship with this person has made me better. Because yeah. there's so many things that yeah. I have uh, been gifted by. Yeah. And oh, wow, this power dynamic of me coming in and giving you all these resources, like this is breaking down, mm -hmm. right? Like you yeah. have, I have gained so much yeah. more. And so like we could just be in community together and break down some, some of those dynamics. So, you know, like charity can really lead to this, right? Yes. So I don't want to like poo-poo right. on charity works. Right. Um, but I want to say that like they can be a big, like let them be a beginning, right? Like right. Let them be an entry point into yes. some of these other ways of being yeah. in community together. Yes. And charity is a critical, I mean, that is the church has provided that for society and it is a critical yeah. component. Um, and I love what you're saying is because when you take it to that next step of building relationships, then it, it's taking the church really outside of the walls of the building. Yeah. And, and yeah. the fulfillment is not just because, Oh, we provided this, you know, these backpacks or, you know, this meal, but now I'm participating in community as myself. You know, yes. part of my my church community is now I'm I'm part of the community in which I live, yes. and that becomes you know that digs deeper into a place of empowerment for the one doing the work as well as the one receiving, but also the one receiving becomes an influencer yes. in doing and and what the work is and a, and a participant. So everyone becomes empowered. Yes, and that's what it's all about. I love how you articulated that. Um, that you know, ultimately, like we're just seeking to to make to reveal the beloved community, right? Yeah, <laughs> like that's all we're doing, um, and that's why it's so fun and amazing. Yes. Well, that's the music to cue us that we have a break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about healing a little more directly and get into you know some more of the nitty gritty about what this work look, what looks like in your community. Beauty. All right. Thanks, Masanda. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. 
And we are back with Reverend Masando Hiroka from Mile High in Denver, Colorado. And Masando, we've been talking about your group that you're leading, your ministry, Social Uplift. And I was just asking over the break if, because um, we talked about kind of some of the service orientation of the group of, you know, like, Doing a, you know, an example was doing a backpack drive, and then, and then reaching further into the communities of what's what's behind that you know surface need of mm-hmm. backpacks. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was asking, you know, if activism is something that the group also engages, or are you splitting hairs between the two ideas of, of service <laughs> and activism? So, what do you say about that? Yeah, I think we're making real clear distinctions between charity works and systemic change. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at ways in which we're um, we're taking part in charity works and ways in that the relationships that are built through those can inform the way the the systemic change that we're seeking to create in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Which absolutely can include some activism. Um, so, you know, when, before I got here to Mile High, there were three social stands that were established for this community. And those three social stands uh, were uh, that we were taking a social stand on what we call interspiritual or interfaith uh, collaboration, right? That mm-hmm. we're really focusing on, to, on, on building those kinds of relationships and also taking part in projects uh, with other faith communities. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was environmental sustainability and stewardship. Uh, and then the third one was nonviolence and human dignity mm-hmm. for all. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have what we're doing right now is we're taking those three social stands uh, and then we're looking at all of the ways that we are, you know, taking action through charity works on those three social stands. We're taking a look on ways in which we are uh, engaging in systemic change around those three social stands. And then we're looking at to see if like there's any gaps uh, that need that that we're not really filling when it comes to those three social stands. Right now, mm-hmm. I realize that last one is enormous. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it comes to nonviolence and human dignity. Uh-huh. But we're really focusing on gender right in ways that mm-hmm. we can support the systemic change in support of uh you know gender equality uh, and understanding and education mm-hmm. um oh yeah and that's the third piece actually and there's another uh aspect of education that we're ah. looking at now too okay. right so um you know when we look at all of those then when we look at the systemic change sort of column, those are the ways in which activism can really uh, happen, right? And mm-hmm. there's a group of folks here that have been contacting me about specifically about environmental sustainability uh, and how we can take a more active role in that way. And so there's a collective that's been forming that actually came out of the Parliament of World Religions yeah. uh, of all of these churches, which is, uh, yeah, where Jackie and I first yeah. met. Um, that all of these churches from Denver, right, that were really uh, influenced by and inspired by uh, the theme around environmental sustainability and mm-hmm. stewardship that was happening at the parliament and have come back together now. There's probably 15 congregations now that have been meeting uh, on a monthly basis uh, that are now uh, seeking to 
create systemic change and influence uh, through legislation uh, around environmental sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but it was an organic process that was built on relationships, right? So we recognize that like, you can, you can sort of jump to the activism piece, but often like what can create a more sustaining, long lasting and, and, and wider foundation of, of, of any sort of activist movement is ensuring that you have an understanding, a deep understanding of whatever issue that you're seeking to, to create change around, that you're really in contact with the people and communities that are most deeply affected mm-hmm. by those issues, yeah. uh, and that you, that you allow, uh, often in, in like communities like ourselves, allow uh, to take a back seat at first, uh, to listen, to understand, uh, and not to like, uh, not to jump too quickly, mm-hmm. uh, but to allow sort of the relationships themselves, the understanding that comes with that, the research actions that you can do uh, with other faith communities to really lead in the ways that you're 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 uh, seeking more systemic and and legislative changes on that kind of level. That I mean, that kind of responsibility that you're describing is just so important. And hasn't always been taken seriously by faith communities, you know, who have wanted to sort of be, uh, be, you know, be a savior and to go in (laughs) and provide solutions that they have devised, um, you know, for, you know, said community and without (laughs) having taken the responsibility that um, of recognizing sort of the sovereignty and human dignity, as you're describing, you know, of a community. Um, before just running in and making decisions on behalf of them, of, of what will improve, you know, their condition. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I think it's it's very easy to fall into that uh, savior uh, yeah. mentality because it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like you're doing a service. Uh, and then you should be pat on the back for mm-hmm. that service, right. you know, right. like... Um, so I do as much as my, I can to, to, to call that out and to offer another way mm-hmm. of engaging in this work. Um, uh, so, yeah, a word that we use a lot is proximity, right? Mm, uh, yeah. And if we uh, become proximate to an issue uh, to the point where we are really moved and transformed by it and by the, the, the folks that are most deeply affected by that, you know, then we're we've come to a place where then we are informed enough, and that our hearts have been moved at that level, to then that can that can help to uh, create a foundation for the ways in which we, we want to create these changes, and know that we're doing so together, right? Yes. We're not doing we're not doing it on our own, um, that we're doing it as a community, um, and really for you know to bring it back to like sort of the the, the theme of this month, like what yeah. we're seeking is, is healing, right? Yes. And so healing takes time. Mm-hmm. I know it sucks, but healing mm-hmm. takes time, <laughs> but it also takes care, yeah. right? Like yes. we have to continually care for each other yeah. in this process yes. and allow it to be a healing process so that we don't experience burnout, allow it to be a healing process so that those who have been affected by racism and, and the things that we've or, or the other aspects of society that we're seeking to change so that, that kind of healing can fully take place yeah. so that the healer within us 
both, you know, for ourselves and for each other, and the ability to be healed by a power greater than us that is within each and every one of us. So that can also be so fully present, yeah. right? Yes. Because that, that's ultimately, I think, part of our work, too, is that, that what we're seeking to do is, 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 is create healing spaces. Mm-hmm. And through those creating healing spaces for the generational traumas that have happened within our society, that that then can create foundations for greater systemic changes, right? Because yes. we're, you know, we're seeking just to 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 open hearts and minds, right? right. And and uh, that's how that's how I've seen legislation change, right? Mm-hmm. So really good stories are shared, and when when people are moved enough to create that change, mm-hmm. yes, and they find that connection to the story. It's huge. It's yeah. Everything. Yeah, so, it is everything. You know, I love, I'm often inspired by uh, Sharif Abdullah's work. Yeah. And uh, my favorite quote right out of his book of, you know, creating a world that works for all is activism is a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, that just takes it to a, a whole different level, a, a deepening of, you know, there's the word spiritual, but right there mm-hmm. is also discipline. And mm-hmm. that's not to say we're disciplined in how we, we go out into the world, it, but it's that internal discipline of who am I, how am I showing up, and and where is my heart and where is my spirit in this? Yeah, and, and I think that's everything too, right? Because if we're really operating from that place, we're recognizing that, like, the enemy is not people, yeah. right? Yeah. The enemy is racism. The enemy is poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Those aren't those aren't people like every person like their spiritual wholeness and identity stays intact right Mm -hmm. and so we're going to treat every person that we're coming in contact we're going to talk to the folks that are in power you know recognizing that right and recognizing our own spiritual power in that as well and being disciplined in a way where like no matter what like i will never i will never diminish your humanity. I will never diminish your spirituality. I will speak to the decisions that you're making. I will speak to the ways in in which I think that change can happen. I'm going to hold a vision for what I think it can be. But every single person that's part of all of this together, like their wholeness, their spiritual beauty and magnificence, right? Like, always stays intact and that is a discipline it is really easy to blame and scapegoat right uh people right but that's that's part of what i seek to really try and communicate to is like wholeness stays intact spiritual identity stays intact no matter what yeah well and what happens i think the result of that when you truly do that is the vision that you're holding will shift you know because you because other people are bringing into it and you let go of it as your own vision you know, and it becomes a shared vision. Yes. And it allow yeah, it allows for the organic nature mm-hmm. yeah. that I think healing and growth, the way that just happens <laughs> in life itself, mm-hmm. it allows those which like becomes this feeling of magic and beauty and 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 true magnificence. Like it allows all of that to be a part of 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 activist and systemic change work as well, right? Yeah. Like, we—it's that surrender. Like, it's—it's it's that surrender to something greater than myself. Like, I'm a part of it, and actually, I'm a—I'm an important piece. 
and it's important that I connect with the specific ways and that I and gifts that I have to give so that I can contribute to this whole. Mm-hmm. But there's something also so much greater than me that's happening here, yeah. and to feel a part of that is a transformative and healing process in and of itself as well. Well, even the language around that, you know, contributing to, you know, to a desired end, we're we're always contributing. Right. Yeah, whether we're doing it consciously or unconsciously. <laughs> and so it's that, you know, it's inviting, you know, oneself into an awareness that how am I going to make my contribution to this? You know, because if I'm a person who's not coming in as the impoverished and, and you know, working with a community who is generationally steeped in poverty, well, I've already contributed mm-hmm. to the situation, you know, like like you said, it's generational. I'm, but but now I have an awareness, and I'm bringing my awareness in. Now, what do I do? Now, what can I do? Now, how can I engage differently instead of you know the us and them, the haves and the have-nots? Mm-hmm. How how can I bring myself back into community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I always say like, go slow, yeah. listen, learn love right like those are your jobs if you're starting out and the whole time right Mm -hmm. like the whole point is like this strength space thing right that like we need to spend enough time with each other where we really can recognize and pour into and uplift all of the strengths that really become present when you're in community together right and every single person has those strengths and so that's part of the healing work too, is like, oh, let's step into those. Like, let's all of us recognize those within each other, uh, affirm them, uplift them, and allow that synergistic nature of what happens when, like, you know, we're, we're affirming and recognizing those, those gifts and strengths within each other, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, to sustain a movement. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's where you start to experience the richness that already yeah. exists. And so yes. you know, we start, you know, shifting just perceptions, you know, that there there is a wealth here and the wealth is in the human spirit. The wealth is in the yeah. divine presence that yeah. is literally everywhere, you know, so where yes. where I think it was lacking, I arrive and I find I discover God, spirit, you know, divine mind, whatever I call it. But I find it already resonating. And so I can bring that into my awareness and then I expand and everyone expands and we, we just come together in a different way. And that like back to what you're saying about healing, that's where the healing because it, because it's not, it's a multifaceted experience of healing that has mm-hmm. to take place in order for societal transformation to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of my, I don't know if this was Ernest Holmes, but it was, I think it was Ernest Holmes. We learned this in our practitioner studies, um, which is like sort of our prayer chaplain program here Mm -hmm. in the CSO world. And, you know, he says, uh, healing is simply the revealing of the divine, right? Yes. And I think when we're in a disciplined space where we're consistently seeking to allow to be revealed to us like God right here in the midst of all of it, like just beaming through each and every individual and then just being reflected back uh, and being strengthened by that and actually like taking joy in that, like healing then can happen on its own. Right. Mm 
Yes. And what's what I love about this sort of metaphor of healing is that you can't force it or fight it. Right. Like you just have to yeah. allow it to do allow it. Uh... You, you create the right environment for it to happen. Uh-huh. Right. So that's your job. You're yeah. not doing the healing itself. You're just supporting its nature, which yes. is to be and to do its thing. Yeah, right? So the discipline is getting out of the way, right? The discipline is getting <laughs> out of the way. The discipline is nurturing each other enough so that it can happen. Yeah. You know, the discipline is, is ensuring that it doesn't get opened up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, and, and that's really, that's really the work, right. That, that we create spaces that, that allow for that healing and, and, and from that like joy, uh, and recognizing how whole we are both individually yes. and collectively, yes. uh, together. Ugh. So good. This is such good stuff. You know, and and too, I'm thinking about, you know, you talked about the environmental uh, sustainability and the energy that um, the ministries in Denver sort of came back from Parliament with. Yeah. And, you know, and the the healing in that, too. I mean, in our planet. Yeah. You know, and like caring for our home and that which is all around us and nourishes our physical life. Yeah. You know, all of that, that that turning, turning care and tenderness in the same way, showing up for it um, and allowing that connection to come forth is the very same thing we've been talking about with humanity. Mm, Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we are a part of this planet, right? So it makes sense that there would be so many, uh, so (laughs) many connections and correlations there. And, you know, it's, it's a cool thing for me, right? Because my, my, my dad has been in the oil and gas industry my Ah, entire life. Right. Which I've seen has been in many ways, I mean, has paid for <laughs> like sure. so much of my life and um, and is in many ways like really benefited like the evolution of our species. Right. Like mm-hmm. as energy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the discipline in seeking to not fight against, to not create enemies, mm-hmm. I think is really present for me in this because my dad is like literally the best human being uh-huh. like on the planet. Love it. Like, love it. Like my parents are amazing. Uh and I love I love them so much. Um and you know, so I would never do anything, right? To diminish him mm-hmm. and the and the and the career that he's devoted. You know, I just see it as like this has been a form of energy. Um and then how do we support because if if we jump to okay here's the solution get rid of oil and gas and just go to all sustainability like 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 we need to feel that sen- that sense of urgency like I totally get that mm-hmm. but we know that like the people that are going to be most affected that way uh, or like a large group are the folks that are in that industry right? right so how do we so I'm part of a group that's looking at like just transitions right like how can we be just in this uh, transition wow. right which yeah. we know is coming. Yeah. Right. But how do we how do we be just? How do we not create enemies here? How do we how do we uh, you know, how do we make this something that works for everybody and how right. we do so in a way that's just and how we do so in a way that continues to uphold the dignity of each and every person? And how do we like create relationships so that we're not demonizing, mm-hmm. you know, some identity that we may have created in our mind about people that are in like in the oil and gas. Right. right. Whatever right. that happens to be. Right. Right. Um, those are great, so, great questions about that. Yeah, like how, how to do that, how to do that, how do we do that? 
yeah, you make friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You put yourself in proximity, right? Like, if we're staying in our echo chambers and bunkers, like, mm-hmm. you know, the way that Brene Brown likes to say, just lobbing, you know, just lobbing these insults at each other. Yeah. And then feeling really good with all the people that are in, happen to be sharing a bunker with. Right. Right. And then it continually attacking those that she calls that sh- uh, common enemy intimacy, mm-hmm. like the ways in which we connect with each other through having a shared enemy. Oh yeah. Uh, but how that's not real connection. She calls it, it's hot wiring connection, but it's not real. And I feel, and I know that we do that a lot these days, mm-hmm. um, but that like we have to have the discipline, you know, to make friends with folks we probably wouldn't want to make friends with. Right. Right. <laughs> and, you know, chances are they're already in your sphere. Exactly. <laughs> they're in your family, they're in your workplace. You know what I mean? Like right. they're there already. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you're working out next part. to them. You're yeah, <laughs> yeah and exactly. And it's it's the same thing when we you know how how much our hearts are expanded when we go outside of our sphere, and yes. we make connections and we and we uh, humanize people. Yeah, right. We we, we receive. Yeah, yeah, we receive. Like oh yeah, you're a person too. You yeah. You know, right, yeah. right. I had this whole other idea painted <laughs> about you. You know, and and that separation which. Um, you know, is easy to do and, e- and becomes easier and easier to do yeah. like on social media, through social media. Yeah. Um, because then we have, we have, we can join a group on Facebook about that yeah. and we can, you yeah. know, and we can get together with all of our like-minded people and, and, and then Google rewards us with giving <laughs> us more content in yep. our news feeds that yep. agrees See? with what we already, you know, so it reinforces <laughs> it like, oh, you're going to love this, you know? And so we, we can stop asking those questions of, of how do we do this in a just way? How do we do this in a way that supports everyone, not just those who agree with me? Yeah. You know, and I think it diminishes our spirit when we're taking part in mm-hmm. those, in those things that, you know, that divide us. Yeah, I really, you know, I think I don't think anyone really actually likes it, right? You know right. What I mean, yeah. Like, I think there's something inherently, uh, like spirit crushing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would agree about, with that. You know what I mean? Because I feel it. I'm like, yeah. wow, it's, that doesn't feel good at all, actually. No, and there's a desperation that comes with it. There's a, <laughs> there's like all of that sort of lack, you know, of like if I don't scream louder. You know, yeah. the whole world's going to come apart. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that fear just drives more fear mm-hmm. uh, and separation. And that could be a slippery slope into a lot of suffering yeah. um, for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm, God, I'm going to I love like in, incorporating the word spiritual discipline here. Yeah. It's, um, good. it's good. It's good. So I w- good. we talked about this too on the break. I you know, I'm working with some ideas around um I I call it this movement, but I don't mean it like in this grand movement. Um but it is <laughs> a movement of from prayer to action and yeah. um and developing this, you know, this work to do. I've taught some classes with it and um to do in community. And it's Basing it on just that line, activism is a spiritual discipline because, you know, especially the rhetoric that happens, you know, in light of the gun violence is like enough with the thoughts and prayers, you know, and yeah. like and and it hurts my heart a little bit. And, you know, when I see that, I get it. I totally get it that oh, yeah. that uh, there have been people who have just used that as sort of a like not it's even I don't even call it like a Band-Aid, but just like, a oh, I'm sending my prayers, you know, um, and it. 
But when we are truly steeped and rooted and we do that prayer work, that's the discipline. That's the discipline when we are truly connected to spirit within us. That's how we get out of the way. And that's how we can show up in the fullness of who we are called to be. Yes. And then we engage action from that place. And it's not what, it's not linear. It's not a linear movement. Oh, I prayed. Or, you know, like you talked about doing your hour of meditation. It wasn't like one time, you know, you woke up one day (laughs) and did an hour of meditation and you were good every day, you know, and it's, so it's, you know, cyclical that you come back and you, and you continue to anchor yourself in your own wholeness, your own connection to spirit, and then move to action. If we can do that, then it, it, it becomes less important what action specifically you're taking. Are you gathering backpacks? Are you, you know, lobbying on Capitol Hill? Are you, you know, in uh, the trenches, you know, rebuilding homes and um, after a natural disaster? Are you, you know, whatever that work is, if we can do it from that rooted place, that's how we begin to see each other and our communities in that wholeness that's everything yeah i think action and prayer like we just have to sort of hold both like and recognize we have to discern the difference because when you post something on social media Mm -hmm. or you say a thought of prayer that can feel like an action yeah yeah (laughs) right yes so i think we just have to discern like Uh we need both and we recognize that they both support each other yes and so to have that discernment is really important and to know that they work together very beautifully and they don't, you don't have to just do one or the other. Yeah. So what's alive for you, for you in social uplift right now? Do you, are you, are you full on with the environmental sustainability? Are you like, you'd mentioned a couple different things, but like what's really resonating? What have you observed anyway? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of energy in this community around environmental sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think I personally have a, have a lot of energy around racial equality and healing. Um, and, you know, that comes through the diversity and inclusion work that I've been a part of uh-huh. and um, the ways that I'm gifted by that. So it's all coming together. But um, that for me is what's alive. Ah, Wonderful. It's been so good to have this hour with you, Ms. Sando. Thank you for sharing your heart and the work that you're doing at Mile High in Denver, Colorado. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.